When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Grammy-winning bluegrass artist Chris Thiele performed Saturday and Sunday at Wolf Trap in Virginia. We spoke about his bands Nickel Creek and Punch Brothers, as well as his solo work and hosting his own version of A Prairie Home Companion. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Is this going to be your first big foray back out into, you know, live in-person shows since COVID, or have you done some others before? I, I've had some of these, these, uh, fun like first steps. There's been a, there's been a few at this point, but nothing on the scale of freaking wolf trap, dude. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to play in the whole world. And, uh, you know, one of these bizarre little silver linings of the pandemic, um, would be that, that, uh, for me, that uh, here I am, I'm one, person you know with a mandolin and and my voice and you know maybe a couple stumps and a hand clap or two uh that i would actually be able to play wolf trap by myself is a bizarre and delightful thing (laughs) i love the way you described it we should slap that on a poster freaking wolf trap dude (laughs) (laughs) it is man it's one of the legendary venues in the world i i i keep telling people this i think it's the best sounding and i'm not brown nosing you i swear uh I think it's the best sounding outdoor amphitheater I've ever played. And, um, and you know, I, as an acoustic musician, um, sometimes you approach outdoor amphithe- amphitheaters with just, you know, fear, fear, consternation, like what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, but something about that, that, you know, it's a wooden palace, man, wooden sound palace. Uh, and everything during, during soundcheck, I, I, at Wolf Trap, I've gotten lucky enough. I've gotten to play it a bunch at this point. During soundcheck, I always I always try and show up first so that I can play by myself. Maybe just a little solo Bach or or whatever it is that I'm tinkling away at. Uh, because I because I'm so in love with the acoustics, and this is an opportunity to actually do a whole evening of that. Oh yeah, I mean it is the oh. you know it's that that giant wooden palace like you said it's all I think it's all made of like Douglas fir and you know it's an it's a, it's part of a national park so it just has a really cool like uh you know nature oasis vibe that you know no matter how much DC you know expands uh, that'll always be a little protected space a little oasis I love it out there man Hallelujah Where did you grow up I know you're born in in California but did you grow up in California yeah. Yeah, well, uh, for a little while. I, so from, let's see, I, from zero to 14, I was in, I was in California and I started playing mandolin when I was, when I was five. And then when I was 14, we moved to a, a place more commonly associated with the mandolin, which is, uh, which is Kentucky. And, um, and the weird thing is that actually moving to Kentucky, I think prompted me to start 
looking outside of, of the bluegrass world for musical, uh, inspiration. And not that I hadn't before that, but just that, that I, you know, I've, I was, I was such a, uh, an attention grubbing, you know, little pipsqueak that, that it, it, all of a sudden it felt less special to be in the bluegrass living in Kentucky, you know, or like in Southern California. Like, yeah, yeah, I play bluegrass mandolin and I would get all the attention uh, I could possibly want for that. But in Kentucky, you know, that's like a less remarkable thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started looking, looking, um, outwards and, you know, eventually got less obsessed with attention and more interested in art. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, I, I think for me always with music, um, there was, there was, there's always been a magic surrounding it for me. It's always felt like an opportunity to live, um, in a fantasy world and, and to, to create, to create that world the way that a, a, a novelist gets to, or, or, I mean, a video game designer, or, you know, movie maker. Um, there's, there's, you can create the world that you want to be in. Um, as a musician and, and then as you start collaborating with other people, you get to experience the worlds that they've created for themselves. And it's, it's this very natural way of transcending yourself. Um, you know, other being transported by other human beings into a, a, a bigger, more vibrant, um, world. And, and I think that's what music is about for me. It's that, it's that, that opportunity to, to learn more about the world I'm in and the people that I'm in it with. Well said. A lot of us, of course, will know your, your, your early, you know, your work with Nickel Creek, bluegrass folk kind of stuff. Uh, how did, how did the members, you three members actually meet and, you know, hook up at, at the beginning in the first place? Oh man, well that was, uh, back in Southern California at this little pizza place in Carlsbad, California called That Pizza Place. Um, good name. During the pandemic <laughs> closed, it closed and we were all, we were all so sad and then someone bought it and reopened it. I have not been since they reopened. Um, but, but anyway, we were, we, there was a bluegrass gig there, like a weekly gig. This, this band called Bluegrass, et cetera, would play on Saturdays. And for a while, I was, I was the only little kid that I knew there and I would play mandolin with the band. The guy who was leading the band is kind of the reason that I, that I, uh, started playing the mandolin. He was fiercely charismatic. So I was, I was more, I think I was more emulating him than, than I was interested in the instrument itself. Um, but, uh, but I would sit in with him. He would have me sit in and then lo and behold, there was this other kid playing the mandolin, Sean. And, and we started jamming together in the hallway that led to the bathroom of that pizza place. And he was four years older than me. His sister, Sarah, uh, was the same age, is the same age. Um, and, and so we, we all started playing together. She would sing, we would play. She started playing the fiddle. Uh, so we all, we would all play and sing together. Um, I mean, like, like little bluegrass chipmunks, man. And, um, and then, I started playing guitar so that we wouldn't have two mandolins in the band. That's never a good idea. Uh, one, one is plenty. Uh, two is really pushing it. So I started playing guitar and then, uh, cause my finger, my fingers were like a little bit longer than Sean's were at that point. And then when he just got long enough, he had always wanted to play guitar anyway. So we switched and, um, or we switched, we switched back basically. Uh, I, I went back to mandolin and he started, he started playing the guitar and, uh, and we never really looked back. Wow, and I love the name of that original pizza place, That Pizza Place. <laughs> that 
pizza place. Like, Where'd you guys meet? Uh-huh. Oh, it was that pizza place. Yeah, but which one? Oh, yeah, yeah, that pizza place. It's like a who's that pizza place. <laughs> By the way, totally weird baseball segue there, but aren't you related to a Hall of Famer? I, nicely done. Nicely researched. Uh, yes, Big Sam Thompson uh, is my great, 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 great uncle. And, um, and if the name doesn't necessarily ring a bell, um, don't worry. He was, he was like a star in the late 1800s, um, for the, uh, gosh, I, I think they were the Philadelphia Athletics at that point. And then, um, and the Detroit Wolverines for the Detroit, before they were the Tigers, they were the Wolverines. He was a member of, uh, of the only all 400 hitting outfield, uh, with, uh, God, I think it was, I'm trying to remember who it was, like this, maybe uh, the names that are sticking in my head are Dan Brothers and Billy Hamilton. Uh, I think he was a member of the only all 400 hitting outfield. It was in 1896 when they moved the mound back to, to 60 feet, six inches, and the pitchers were reeling and the hitters were like, you know, licking their chops. <laughs> well, an all 400 outfield. Yeah, that's all the- 400 hitting. And actually, Big Sam Thompson, he still to this day holds the record for, for, uh, highest, um, Highest career RBIs per game percentage uh, at, at, at 0.923, almost an RBI a game, and uh, and second on that list is Lou Gehrig. Wow, I think I think yeah. I also read he um, had the single season RBI record until Babe Ruth broke it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah 166. It actually had a season of 165 RBIs and 166 RBIs. I think I think it was Hack Wilson that broke it, but but. Uh, but he had, um, although I could, I could be wrong about that. This was fresher in my brain, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but, <laughs> but then he also held, he held the career home run record for, for a second before a dude named Ned Williamson broke it. And then the next person who broke that record was, was Babe Ruth, you know, in like two seasons or whatever. <laughs> I did not know we'd be talking about Hack Wilson and Ned Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's a good interview. This stuff. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, you know what, man? Your ratings, uh, your ratings are skyrocketing as we speak. Exactly. Or people are tuning out. Oh, well, the sports fans are turning up the dial and the other ones are like fast forward, hitting that 30 second fast forward button. The music fans are like, what are we doing in Wolf Trap? Are we like obscure baseball stats? All right. Let's bring it back around for the music folks. All right. And if you've hit skip forward, now we're back to the music. <laughs> um, we were, we were talking Nickel Creek before all this. Um, I know you guys did a couple albums i think i guess your most famous would probably be this side which god i think it like went platinum and won you guys the grammy for best contemporary folk album uh just memories of that real quick of how cool it was not only to to win the grammy but you know just memories of the album itself um it was uh that was that was a strange it was a strange experience i think of all uh, to me it's the most awkward sounding it's the you know when you look at pictures of yourself um you know, I think for a lot of people, it's like adolescence. You look at pictures of yourself and you're just like, oh my God, don't look at those ones. <laughs> um, for the longest time, I think Sarah, Sean and I all felt like this side was that. That was, those were our, those were our awkward, awkward pictures. Just in a, we were in such a strange headspace. The first record, the first record did so well. Uh, the eponymous record kind of, kind of rode the, rode the coattails of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it was like, if you had one bluegrass record, you had Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? If you had two, you had that and whatever was Alison Krauss's most recent record. And if you had three, then you also had the Nickel Creek record. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, we were kind of like the, we were like 
um, accessories to the accessory to the coffee table book. Um, and, <laughs> and, and so we didn't, we, it was, it was strange. It was a strange time. We, we had all this attention and we had all these ears, um, that we never expected. And, and I think it put us in a strange creative spot. And that's, that's where, that's where this side came from. And now when I look back, um, I think there's also a point in time as, as people that we grow out of being embarrassed by those adolescent pictures. And, and we're just like, yeah, that's, that's what I was at. That, that's, that's a step that I, that I took on the way to where I am. Um, and we can, you know, we're, we're not that we're proud of it, but it just, it just is. And, and that's how, that's how I think the three of us feel about that record now. Um, you it was mentioned Alison Krauss. Didn't she help produce that record? Yeah, she, she produced that record and, and the one before. And then for the next one, which I sort of consider our first, our first, um, maybe even my, my, just in any of the stuff that I was up to, uh, I think the next Nickel Creek record was kind of the first mature, mature work, if you will. So um, would, would you say that that next one, the follow up one, why should the fire die? Would you say that's the one you're most proud of or fair? I know you did like from a the Nickel Creek. Thing. I think from the Nickel Creek catalog, yeah. Um, you know, not, not, uh, but once we, once we got there, um, after that, I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm, it's like, a, I, then they're just, they, the, the, if we follow the picture analogy, then just the pictures start looking like, like us and, and me from that point on. Um, uh, you know, like, like if you were showing them the TSA, they'd recognize you. <laughs> it's how I, <laughs> Is how I feel about it. Um, you know, b- before that, before that record, which is like, I guess that came out maybe in 03, uh, maybe 04, uh, hard to, hard to remember. I think maybe 04. Um, and, uh, yeah, before that, I, I kind of feel like, um, TSA wouldn't recognize me if like, it, you know, if, if it was a picture and I was showing it to someone, I'd be like, that's you. And then starting with Why Should the Fire Die, I feel like the records that I've made since I can kind of hold them up and, and, and identify with them. It doesn't mean I hate the ones before. It's just, it's just hard for me to even feel like I was part of it. Right. A lot of our listeners will probably, you know, if they follow your career, then they know, of course, that you then spun off and did a bunch of solo, uh, records. Is there one you're particularly proud of or do you hate when people ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, you know, I like them. I was just reading a George Saunders essay. He's a great, a great, author who's been a huge inspiration on me uh, as a musician actually um and I, I was just reading something he was saying about once you once you put the thing into the world you are vouching for it and you're saying this is in a way you're saying this is perfect this is what it is um i've all i've also heard other people say that records are never finished they are only abandoned um and uh you know i i, I feel both ways i <laughs> Feel both ways that you just decided a certain point and it's done and it's done. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, there, there are things that I would take back about any of them, um, or that I would, I would go back to the drawing board, um, revise, revise, revise. And, and actually in the live, the live show is always an opportunity to kind of, to be revising, uh, you know, right, right there in front of, of God and everyone. Um, but I think most, I don't know very many artists who wouldn't say that the most recent thing is what they're most proud of at that moment, at that moment. Cause you're still, you know, you're still reeling from that effort it took to, to, you know, sort of form it out of the shapeless block of marble. Um, 
and um and they become like children it's it it is impossible for you to 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 pick out you know a favorite um what i think once you once you sort of come of age artistically um the very act of releasing it is this sort of stamp of approval and it's not and that stamp of approval uh, in my experience it doesn't really um they don't become like color coded over time where, Oh yeah, that one's got the bright red stamp of approval. <laughs> that means right. it's really approved. Uh, and that one stamp of approval sort of the, the, the tepid shade of yellow. It's barely approved. You know, I, I, it doesn't really <laughs> feel that way to me. It's like once they, once they, once I'm done, um, man, I, 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 I gave it, I gave it the old college try and, and, and I feel, I feel good about them. And so right now, this, this most recent record, Lay Songs, is, is, is the solo record that I'm most, I'm most proud of. Um, you know, but there are, there are of the non-solo activity, like Punch Brothers, Goat Rodeo Sessions. There's lots of stuff out there. <laughs> well, yeah, you mentioned Punch Brothers. I think right before COVID, I guess, at the 2019 Grammys, you guys won Best Folk Album for All Ashore. So Punch Brothers is relevant, I think, in people's minds. <laughs> Um, well, you know, in, 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 uh, in certain people's minds, perhaps, uh, so punch is, Nickel Creek is, is like family and punch brothers is, is like friends. Those two bands feel like that. And I, you know, I love my family and I love my friends and there are different relationships possible, musical relationships possible, just the way that there are different, you know, when the kind of relationship you have with family members is different from the kind of relationship that you have with your friends. The same is true in, in music. You know, Sean and Sarah and I have been making music together since, since we were six, six and ten. And, um, Punch Brothers and I got together in our, in our, uh, our mid twenties. And so it's a very, it's a very different experience. And, and, you know, neither is, neither is better than the other. Um, they're just different. And you, you, you say different kinds of things musically. Um, you know, to those, to those musicians who feel like family. Um, than those musicians who feel like like uh, like friends. That's the perfect way to put it. Thanks, man. Uh, everyone will, can understand it in those terms. Cool. I want to know about how you you got deemed a genius. You you got a MacArthur Genius Grant. How, how did that happen? <laughs> oh boy, uh, I don't know how it happened. I I it was. I'll tell you, it was one of the one of the most surreal experiences I have ever had in my life was, was getting that call. You know, you have no idea that you're up for it or anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, they keep the whole process shrouded in, in secrecy. <laughs> it's just all of a sudden they call you and, and say, Hey, you, uh, you've won this, you've won a MacArthur fellowship. And, um, and so, and then you, you know, you, you remember to, to breathe again and you pick yourself up off the floor. I was literally lying down on the floor. I was so, I was so, uh, I had to, I had to lie down and then, um, I'd had some friends who, who got them and, uh, and always, and was always like, Oh my gosh, I wonder what that must've felt like. And I would, I would ask them what it felt like. And, um, and, and they would tell me things like I'm kind of telling you right now. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's an amazing feeling. It's tell you what, man, you, you, it's fuel, it's fuel for the fire and you, you don't want to be a person on that list that people scratch their head about. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you want to just, you want to make sure that you're, you're, 
you're earning your your keep. Um, and uh, and so I think that I've always taken a great deal of pride in my work, but you know, I feel like I would just maybe clock in a little earlier and stay a little longer and, and work a little harder. Just not wanting to stick out like a sore thumb on that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been really generous with your time. Before we run, I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about, you know, the whole Prairie Home Companion thing. Well, I guess they changed the... Oh, we, yeah. We took over for Garrison. They changed the title to, what was it called? Live From Here. Live from um, yep. How much of an honor was that? Because you used to appear on the show, like as a guest on Prairie Home Companion back in the day, right? So it must have been a really big honor to take over the yeah. hosting duties for what, four years? Oh, man. And that, that show was was a huge... A huge influence on me growing up. My family listened to it every week and uh, we would follow all the stories and Garrison and the show really championed the acoustic music for a long, for a long time. It was one of the biggest outlets for, for, uh, for acoustic music. You know, the show was almost, almost like fiercely disinterested in, in contemporary, uh, because sort of like the, the, you know, the prevailing contemporary music aesthetics. Um, and, um, and so, so when he asked me to to do it, it was it was it was it was a crazy experience. Uh, other other than like, getting that call, I, I could have never anticipated it. But when he asked, I, I there was a part of me that was just like, yes, absolutely, of course, this is what I'm going to do next. Of course, um, despite having having absolutely no clue that I was even being considered for it. Um, and and then and then he handed over the re- the, the reins in a, a very gracious and helpful manner, uh, and we went to work. And and you know I think that the the hardest work of it was was um, was making it new. Uh, it needed to it needed to be a new a new show. And so I you know I think by the end of it we we got there. And not, not me. I didn't get, you know, I was part of it. It was an incredible team. Some of whom had worked on the show, uh, before I, before I got, many of whom had worked on the show before I got there. And, and we all, we all just tried to, I think the best, um, the best thing you can say for any, any show, uh, any variety show, uh, musical or not is, is that it, that it accurately holds up a mirror to the world that, that it's in. And I think by the end of it, um, I, you know, I think Garrison's version of the show did that. And, um, and had I tried to do it in the same way, it would have become pastiche. It would have become, um, an imitation and it wouldn't have felt like a true mirror anymore. Um, because of course we all hold up mirrors from different places. And, and had I been trying to hold up that mirror from, from his place, it, it would not have felt sincere at all. Um, and the mirror, you know, the image in the mirror would have been corrupted. Um, and so that, that was the hardest part is, is kind of, you know, of <laughs> lugging the mirror over to my, to my neck of the woods and, and the neck of the woods that, that I, you know, helped create with, with all the various, uh, beautiful people who were part of that, that team. And it was sad to see it go. Um, you know, right, right last year, right about this time, um, COVID, COVID kind of, it, it just like, you know, COVID was like, took all the air out of it. Um, yeah, and, they, it, and it, the American public media said they, they actually put a statement out that said it was canceled due to financial challenges, uncertainty by COVID. So that yeah, COVID, yeah. Uh, cost you the show. Do you think you'll ever, are there any plans to bring it back or is that sort of like a, you know, COVID happened, it's a good reset and do something else? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think, I feel like we, there's a part of me that feels like that was, that was a good, that was a good, as, as they say, a good job done well. 
and and that we can we can venture on. Uh, I'm certainly proud of of what we did. And again, it's nothing that I did. It's it's something that that we did together. Um, and um, but there's also a part of me that feels like there's there's a, a bit of a void in that regard. In in certainly in America, we we are low on musical variety shows in this country, and um, and so I feel like. I, I just personally, as a, as a music lover, I want something like that to exist. Um, doesn't need to be on the radio. It, you know, increasingly people, people go to the radio for, for news. And, um, and, you know, that's, I, I, there with notable exceptions, thank goodness. Um, cause I feel like, boy, is, is isn't there enough news? Um, <laughs> but, uh, there's not enough good news. I'm telling you that much. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, and, and, you know, um, <laughs> to kind of like paraphrase Mr. Holland, uh, you know, if we, if, if we, if we don't have music, uh, eventually we're not going to have, we're not going to have enough, enough, uh, there's not going to be enough balm to get us through the news. Uh, we're just going to stop out. There's not going to be a reason to, to slog through it. Um, but I, but I think we, there's lots and lots of, of beautiful music being made. And I do feel like there's a little bit of a, um, because there's so, it's so available to us on the internet. Um, you know, in, in a way that maybe the internet has temporarily vanquished the musical variety show. Cause it is like one gigantic musical variety show, but it's completely overwhelming. Um, you know, the choices, the amount of music that is available to us, um, at any one time, um, you know, it's, it's stunning. And, and I think sometimes it, it, it is so much that we end up deciding to go back to the same wells over and over again. Um, that we, that, that we're just cowed by the variety. And, and so we go, well, I know I like this. So I'm going to listen to that and I'm going to listen to more stuff like it. And the internet directs us to more stuff that it thinks is like what we like already. Right, and, the algorithm is going to just reinforce your your pre you know predisposition. Yeah, yeah, and so you're going to start. It's basically just like you like hot dogs. All right, cool. Well, then you're going to have hot dogs, and here's a corn dog, and here's a chili dog, and and here's a uh, here's a veggie dog, and uh, and you might sit there going, yeah, I like this because I like this, and that's why I like it. Um. And, but, you know, why did you like hot dogs in the first place? You know, it was a new thing. And, and it, you know, it might turn out, it might turn out that you really love, I don't know, a tomato and peach salad, you know? And the <laughs> internet doesn't know that about your musical tastes. You're going to have to get out there and find it, you know, or things like the Jules Holland show in, in, on the BBC. That, that to me, it's like, where's America's Jules Holland show? Like I, 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 um, certainly like Austin City Limits has been amazing for years and years. Um, late night used to be a better, uh, a better source for new music. Now, you know, now they're kind of maybe the late night shows will have a couple musical acts on a week. You know, we get, thank God we get to see John Batiste on Colbert. Uh, and, and John is always hiring amazing people, but we get to see him for like 15 seconds at a time tops. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out there right now. Um, and it's, and it's a shame because there's so, there's just as much great music being made as there ever has been. Um, you know, and, and, 
and more of it is available to us. I just, I just do, I do think we've got a little bit of a, of a void of, of, um, of arenas to, to kind of introduce ourselves to that new music in, in a way that's digestible. And again, doesn't feel like, you know, going to this, this <laughs> like opening the doors, uh, you know, of a, of a library and it looking like the last scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> you know. top men have put it away in a in a crate in a warehouse yeah exactly it's all in there and it's all special like what are you gonna do what box are you gonna open first he's like hey i know i know what's in this box i'm gonna open that one again is your music the hot dog or are you the tomato peach salad that's the question <laughs> i think probably to some people my music tastes like a hot dog and to other people it tastes like a tomato peach salad and they would both be right. Oh, awesome. Well, come taste you know, all of those varied flavors at freaking Wolf Trap, dude, to quote Chris. So. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, all of you there. Absolutely. Thanks so much for, for taking the time and talk. I mean, man, you know, I, I got more than I bargained for. I thought we'd, you know, I knew we'd get to, I hoped we'd get to talk about all your music, but man, when you were talking about the, the different, the void of arenas and just the state of the industry, I feel like we got a lot of good context <laughs> of where, you know, of, of where the industry is and how we could use a new, a new, um, variety show like that. Uh, man, you expanded some mind zone here, I think. Oh, well, well, I, I, the, the, the same is always true when, when we're in conversation with, with each other. That's like, uh, I love, I love what happens when, when people gather together to talk about stuff. Then I think we, we start making some progress. Well, thanks for all the progress on here. Chris, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. Hope to see you down at Wolf Trap. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.